Thank you uh, very much, everybody. It's again, it's an honor to be here, um, especially with my friend Fadi here. So, uh, why don't you give the audience just a quick background, like who you are, um, where you come from, and um, we'll take it from there. Um, nice to meet you all. My name is Fadi Al Salamin. I grew up in uh, Palestine. For the past 12 years, I've been mainly working on um, anti-corruption and exposing corruption within the Palestinian Authority, but also um, pushing for uh, democratic reforms um, within uh, Palestine. Alex and I met uh, several years ago, and most of my work on uh, Bitcoin in Palestine, um, actually all of it, has been inspired by my understanding of it from Alex and um, you know it's an honor to be here and uh... thanks man um, it's uh, it's been really amazing at the Human Rights Foundation to get a chance to share what I've learned from all of you and so many others with uh, brave activists like Fadi and you know like I said last night um, people who come from places with authoritarian governments tend to understand the promise of Bitcoin extremely quickly. <laughs> They're like, wait, money that the government doesn't control, sign me up immediately, please. Uh, they tend to be less like, oh, this is like shady for criminals. They tend to see the promise of it much faster, um, which which is always refreshing. Um, just before we dive into like the background of money and currency in Palestine, um, when's the last time there was a free and fair election in the West Bank? 2005. 2005. So they've had the same guy in power since 2005. 18 years. 18 years of one-man rule. Um, and this person is on record as actually basically ordering killings of people who criticize him at this point. Yes, I'm one of them. Uh, he actually tried to kill me as of March of, uh, of last year. And mainly, it's funny, you said, you know, people assume that Bitcoin um, or, or money is used mainly by criminals. When you have the criminals running the government, uh, it's a completely different story. The, you know, people are looking for a way out of that. So we've had a president who's been in power since 2005, refuses to hold elections. Um, he dismantled the judiciary system, dismantled the um, parliament. So... His title is president, but he essentially rules by decree, which basically renders him a king. Um, you know, the law is whatever he says the law is that uh, particular morning. So people like me who challenge that, uh, who are calling for elections or who want reforms, basically a normal democratic uh, system, we're seen as a threat. And the more we raise our voices, uh, the more we become a threat. And the the standard operating manual uh, that he has, which others in his positions have, um, are to create smear campaigns against uh, against us, and eventually, if they don't work, slowly move towards uh, violence, which was the result of, um, you know, literally they tried to kill me in uh, last year, and that's why I ended up here. But um, and then more and more started learning about Bitcoin. So. Um this is a very politically charged issue, obviously, Israel, Palestine. A lot of people have very strong opinions. Um, I actually felt that um, until pretty recently that I didn't have a lot original to add to the conversation. Um, and then I started looking at the issue from a monetary or like a currency point of view. And um, once I started looking at the dynamics or, or the mechanics of currency there, 
I found it much easier to be confident in writing about it and speaking about it because it was just so wrong. And there are many people who are in the wrong. Um, the Israeli government, the Israeli military, the PA, the Palestinian Authority uh, in Gaza, Hamas, there's like many actors. Um, the United States government. I mean, no, the problem with Palestine in many ways is similar to the problem of, of a place like North Korea. Nobody wants to see change. All of the major powers just kind of want to keep the show going. And they're all sort of self-interested in like no big change. They're worried about change. They just want to see it keep going. And that's obviously bad for the people. Just very quick background. And Fadi, feel free to cut in if I, if I make a mistake or mischaracterize anything. Want to give very brief background on the monetary history uh, of Palestine. Um, we'll start in 67, the Israelis started mil military occupation of, of the territories, uh, essentially. Um, from 67 to 87, um, 20 years, they focused on basically, you know, a, a strategy of making the Palestinian economy sort of dependent on Israel. This was kind of the strategy. So they would, for example, like make it so that it was not that competitive for Palestinian farmers or for Palestinian industry to operate. They made it so that it was cheaper for that stuff to actually just be made in Israel and then imported into Palestine. So the strategy essentially was to like reduce the economic sovereignty uh, of the region. And, and this is really one of the things that this like first intifada, which was like an uprising against the Israeli authorities, uh, was was all about it was about economic sovereignty. It was about you know let's grow our own food and let's like be s sufficient. And it was interesting because I was talking with um, quite a few Palestinian kind of like almost like Marxist like really left leaning Palestinians who I um, interviewed when I did a bunch of research on this topic last year. And they're like, when they speak, it really sounds like that the, they sound like a lot like a lot of the people in the Bitcoin community who are all about food sovereignty. It's very similar, like politically, they may not agree, but like on this topic of food sovereignty, this is super, super important. Food and energy sovereignty is something that is, is very important in that region. It's just something that the people don't really have. So you had a, an uprising against essentially, you know, whether you call it um, colonialism or, or occupation or whatever words you want to use, uh, but against the lack of independence of people inside um, the region. And this led to the famous Oslo Accords, the Nobel Peace Prize going to Yasser Arafat, the creation of a Palestinian state. Um, what you don't read about, or what I, people are never really taught about, including I learned many, most Palestinians, is that in order to get um, the Palestinian state uh, and have Arafat be leader of that state, which was of course brought into the UN, things like that, they sacrificed all financial freedom. So Palestinians in 93, 94 gave up the right to have a central bank, the right to have their own currency, the right to control imports and exports, the right to have any control over the labor market. A lot of Palestinians, again, because of the dependency strategy, were day laborers. They worked in Israel and came home. And remember, Israel and the territories is a relatively small place. It's like the size of New Jersey or something like that, right? So commuting from you know Hoboken to New York City is very, it's a similar thing. You go in, you come back. It's something that many, many, many thousands of Palestinians do every day. So Israel controls all that stuff as a result of granting political independence, right? Right. It's an agreement called the, the Paris Accords or the Paris Agreement, if you read about it. Yeah, the Paris Protocol, I think, right? 
and it's kind of buried and you never even learn it. You could do, you could spend four years learning about this topic and never hear about the Paris protocol. But as we know, as we've uncovered in our own Bitcoin journeys, money is always like the most important thing and it's always buried. Like no one wants you to know about it. In this case, it's kind of how the, the, you know, powers that be control of the Palestinians is, is, is through currency. So, um, and, and, and Fadi, you know, reflect on that. I think it's, to me, it was an eye-opening moment because for almost 10 years or 12 years, I was talking about um, the conflict uh, from the from the point of view of politics and completely did not see the economics of it at all. Because as Alex said, you don't, you know, you don't pay attention to... Um, to the to the Paris Agreement because everybody is talking about the Oslo Agreement and sovereignty and not sovereignty and uh, control of land and exit and enter uh, you know per, you know borders and security and water but all of this makes complete sense when you look at the financial uh, arrangement and the financial financial arrangement you'll appreciate this um, the Palestinians do not have a currency not allowed to have their own currency. Um, you don't have a central bank, which I know a lot of people here are very happy about. But what's worse than not having uh, your own central bank is having somebody else's central bank regulate yeah. your own. It's the only thing worse than having a central bank is having somebody else's central bank. <laughs> right. Um, and, and and so essentially you, you find yourself, uh, you're existing, but every single aspect of your life is being um, more or less controlled by... Uh, a, a policy that's been thrown at, at you. Yeah, like they're like in daily, like in Ramallah, in, in cities in, in Palestine, like you use the Israeli currency. It's 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 psychologically like kind of crazy. Like it it helps kind of reinforce the status quo. And there's no real momentum to change this. Now maybe one day the UN will come in and say we're going to create a, a central bank digital currency for the Palestinians. I mean, there's a million reasons why this is a disaster. First of all, no one's going to want the Palestinian currency. It's not going to be very strong. There's no export base. There's no manufacturing base to speak of. There's a lot of brain drain. And second of all, it's just going to be a tool of surveillance and control for Palestinians. Like a lot of them. One of their only bastions of freedom is cash, is paper, paper notes. It's really one of the only ways they can have an economy that's not controlled by either the Israeli military or the PA. Um, and, and now there's like a war on cash. So I thought it'd be useful to very briefly walk through something um, that, that will highlight the arrangement it's at place. And that would be like the salary of a day laborer. Let's say you work and you are a you work in construction and you're Palestinian and you you commute into Israel on a daily basis. So you told me Fadi that first of all they've started cracking down on cash payments, right? Right. So it has to be an electronic payment. So your employer who's an Israeli company um will will wire you a basically money and and you'll get it in your Bank of Palestine account, correct? Exactly. So th think of it in this. There's the, the larger picture, which is the Paris Accords, which we've explained. And then you get into the details. That's the agreement. That's basically the Israeli government and its control of the area. Below that is the Palestinian Authority, which is a very corrupt body. And the corrupt body, you know, the, the way it's built, the system, the way it's built is to make as much money as possible. It does not care about your well-being, has no regard for any um, other, uh, you know, all the things that you would expect from a governing body, they don't exist. Arafat was famous for having secret bank accounts. 
with billions of dollars. With billions. So what's happening now is the Palestinian Authority, because of the rising awareness of, of corruption, um, they're figuring out creative ways to siphon off money from citizens. So normally, if you're a Palestinian citizen, you get to have um, a job in Israel. You'll, you're paid usually cash um, in your hands. And then some of the extra, let's say the, the fees, the health care, they're usually taken off into an Israeli bank account. That bank account will wire it to the PA. That's not a, in PA meaning Palestinian Authority. That's not enough for them. Now they've came up with a new creative way, which is they agreed with the Israeli government that every single Palestinian worker must have a bank account in the Palestinian Authority and his salary cannot be given to him cash in his hand, has to be wire transferred to that bank account in the Palestinian Authority. It's worth noting that. now. So now there's numerous people who can freeze or take your, your, your money. So first of all, you have the Israelis who take a tax. Right. So as a result of the Paris Accord, any money flowing into the West Bank is subject to a it's three, three and a half percent tax. Three percent. So for the pleasure of occupying Palestine, Israel takes three percent. Um, <laughs> this this is great. I mean, this the, the, one of the reasons that the Israeli shekel has been such a strong currency over the last 20 years relative to other fiats is that, and this is crazy when I learned this, so all the aid, the billions of dollars of aid that go to support the Palestinian people come in from Canada, from Germany, from the United States in FX, in dollars, in uh, Swiss francs, Canadian dollars, euros. The Israelis take that hard currency and then they wire their own fiat to the Palestinians. So they've been like able to basically take the good, harder currency and give the softer currency to Palestinians. It's crazy. But anyway, like the point is they control anything that goes in and out. So maybe they're fine with your salary. Okay, so after they take a little bit, they pass it over to the PA. Well, now the PA might have a problem with you, but even e either way, they're gonna take their their slice and then finally it's gonna get to you. And what's what's really crazy is sometimes the Israeli government will use this like, Basically, it, it, they settle this wire to the PA of all this money earned by Palestinians on, a, on an occasional basis. It's like once a month or once every few weeks. And sometimes they'll use this as a weapon. They'll say, we're not gonna send, we're not gonna settle until you guys do X. And you know, there'll be these petty disagreements between the PA, the Israelis. It, meanwhile, people are like, they don't get their money, right? So we have that. We also have the international side of things. There's no Amazon in Palestine. You can just like order stuff on Amazon. There's no Venmo, PayPal. It's like really difficult to send money from America in. I mean, why don't you tell about some of your own experiences with it? So I'll tell you two stories. One, when I started um, raising my criticism of the president, immediately they figured out my all my bank accounts, um, froze all of them. And then on top of that, they took all my personal information, gave it to a newspaper that is owned by Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization. And they basically wrote a story about how um, the reason why I'm criticizing the corruption is because I am a, an agent of a foreign country, a bad guy, and here's all my, you know, so if you Google my name now, you'll get a picture of my passport, uh, my ID, every single personal detail about me. So you have no privacy whatsoever if you have, um, you know, accounts there or if you challenge the government in any way. So that's the, 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 the first piece of it. The other piece of it was... Well, just when you make a, a Western, a wire, you try to make a bank wire to New York, good luck. I mean, Palestine, I mean, so the, the amount of days, weeks, months, it could be under review for even a $500 transfer. Exactly, but, but in a, on top of that, you have two, three challenges. One, um, 
you have to explain why you're worrying. Um, if you are someone who is not happy with the government, you could your name could be put on a list as um, you know you you could be accused of anything. You by either side, by the way, but the, the Israelis could say no. The Israelis can say no, but also the, you know the Palestinian Authority could say, oh, the, the, this person is funding quote unquote funding terrorism, even though sure. the wire could be sent to your mom to pay her medical bill or your brother to pay his school tuition. All of a sudden, you're um, a, a person of interest for an investigation. Um, and, and you have to, you know, prove your innocence, and they have no evidence that you're doing anything wrong. On top of that, let's say you're just a businessman who has a company in New York, and you're, let's say, importing olive oil, and you're really doing very well. And all of a sudden, a corrupt uh, intelligence officer in the Palestinian Authority realizes, hey, this guy is making a lot of money, and I, I want some of it. They'll put a hold on all your transfers until you come in and you pay them. Right. So there's just like straight corruption. So there's like often you'll need to bribe somebody to get a wire to go through. So this is a highly permissioned system. One more thing we wanted to touch on before moving to like Bitcoin as a as a, you know, potential workaround or solution. You know, these again, the Palestinians use the same currency as the Israelis. So you would think that they would benefit from a, this this relatively stable currency, right? That they wouldn't have crazy inflation. Well, that's not true. So for example, a laptop computer in Ramallah might cost three, four times as much as it does in Tel Aviv. And that's because even though it's all in shekels. And the reason why is like when the computer arrives, it's got to go to Israel first. It sits in a warehouse. It gets inspected. They have to approve it. Then it gets on a truck that has to get inspected. It goes into Palestine. It gets inspected again. You know, all these things cost money, time. And by the time it finally gets to like the store in Palestine where you can go and buy it again because there's no Amazon, um, it, it, it costs, you know, three to four times as much. So it's important to note that like you can you can have the same currency in, you know, a part of the world and, and there can be very different inflation in those different parts. So the Palestinians suffer from financial exclusion. They don't have the same apps we have. They're really cut off from the outside world. They have high inflation. And generally speaking, they, they, they have a very hard time owning their own money, plus the general indignity of not even having their own currency. And that's just not even a thing. So when I started to learn that there were Palestinians using Bitcoin, I got very interested. So I, I thought he was one of the people I talked to. Um, and, you know, since then, uh, we've done some interesting things. So there's there's a there's an, um, Middle Eastern exchange called Rain. Rain is one of the biggest Bitcoin and cryptocurrency exchanges in the Middle East. So um, one of the founders is an, a Palestinian-American guy. He reached out to me after reading this article that, that I collaborated on with Fadi. Um, and they were like, we want to do something. So we recommended that they start like a fellowship program. So basically, uh, they have an internship program that's currently operating now. And they are paying in Bitcoin uh, devs from the from the from Palestine and, and across the Arab world uh, to work on open source software and they're paying in Bitcoin and I think that's that's a big win that's cool so we want to see more of that um, there's a whole bunch of other things in the works um, but in general maybe you can talk about some of the stuff you've seen personally or 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 you know more broadly in terms of like why Palestinians are getting excited about this. So I'll just give a personal example. Now, if I want to wire anybody um, money, I just send Bitcoin. I don't even bother with the bank. I don't, I don't uh, Thank you. Um, so that's one. And, and then two, if you ask me, you want to do anything in Palestine, um, I'll just say help us spread awareness, education, internship program, whatever it is that you're doing to increase the knowledge about Bitcoin, because it really 
it, it shifts everything. It cuts out all the middle corrupt men um, and directly lets everybody benefit. So one of the things I'm advocating for is you want to send aid, great. Make sure it goes directly to the people. Make sure it's in the form of Bitcoin. Um, another idea we were discussing uh, yesterday is, um, you, you want to talk about yeah, it? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it in loose terms because we want to keep it kind of under wraps. But let's just put it this way. What if we can arrange a gift so that um, a school in Palestine can, in the West Bank, can um, have a solar setup uh, that is enough to power, let's say, five S-19s? Okay. So um, this would be a gift, so there'd be no capex whatsoever it would it would be opex which with solar would be super minimal maintenance whatever um all of the bitcoin earned would go towards providing scholarships to that school to other palestinians just an idea we'll see but there's lots of different things we're cooking up that could take advantage of the fact that there's a lot of sun i mean palestine doesn't have that many resources honestly that aren't controlled by the israelis but the sun is one thing they can't control so the sun is like a, something to think about um so we'll see um but you go ahead. Yeah. But, but there's a theme, if you notice. You're changing sunlight into scholarship. There's no violence in any of this. It's just... Yeah. And a big thing that I, I know that, the, again, heated thing, I, I, you know, I, I think you can be pro-Israeli people, pro-Palestinian people. One thing, though, is there's there's a movement, you know, obviously Palestinians are pissed off, and I, I totally understand and sympathize. So one of the things they, they a lot of Palestinians recommend is boycotting Israeli stuff. So... You can have a negative boycott, okay, which is uh, we're not going to listen to Israeli music or buy soda streams made in the West Bank. You know, you can have a negative boycott and maybe that works. Or you can have a positive boycott with Bitcoin where you're not hurting anybody. All you're doing is opting out of the system. I really like this idea of a positive boycott. I, and I wouldn't even go – this is the thing I found. A lot of Palestinians are actually Bitcoiners, are talking to Israeli Bitcoiners. They're uh, on uh, Telegram groups together. Um, they're exchanging Bitcoin for cash and the other way around. And, and they're finding ways to be closer because they're not, you know, they're not pegged against each other. One is not serving the other. It is, this is a win-win. I mean, one of the people I talk to, there's, there's honestly, there's a, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Bitcoin rabbi on Twitter. Uh, he wrote this children's book. So his brother is like a very, very intense Zionist. He he moved to Israel. He lives in the West Bank. He believes all the biblical stuff. It's pretty intense. He's also like a really hardcore Bitcoiner. Um, and and I interviewed him for my story. And uh, he he's like <laughs> he he's obviously very pro Israel, and he thinks that the Israeli central bank is like evil or whatever. And he's like uh, he doesn't think that that fiat money is moral. And there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in like the Orthodox, both Jewish and Muslim um, communities when it comes to fiat money, uh, which is worth looking at. But in general, I, I found um, a, a lot of interest, I think, among Israeli Bitcoiners in, in, in maybe, maybe reaching out to their Palestinian um, counterparts. And, you know, again, this is something you can do that's peaceful. That's a peaceful protest. It's not like canceling somebody, it's not negative, it's positive. It's not, it's sort of like win-win. Um, you know, the only one who's not winning are the corrupt government officials who who have total control over the economy. They're losing, but everybody else is, is winning. Right, so, I mean, I can imagine where if all Palestinians start using Bitcoin, um, the government is not making money anymore. There's no reason to, for them to be there. Maybe we can finally successfully push for a democracy, push for elections. Um, you know, they, thank you, one person. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so much at stake, but and when when you know when you're in such a dark place that Bitcoin is the only source of hope. Um, I mean, and I'm not just talking about Palestine. Look at Afghanistan today. Um, the only way now we're talking about a friend of ours, Roya Mahbub. She, the only way she can pay brilliant programmers, women in Afghanistan, is by sending them Bitcoin. It, well, and just generally speaking, it's for all these governments, it's the no plan plan. They don't have a plan to fix this. Like, the, like so the Paris Protocol was supposed to expire in 97. Here we are, something like 25 years later, and it's still running. There's no, like, initiative to change it or to give Palestinians more authority. And it's kind of similar. I know that a bunch of you have told me you read my story about the colonial Frank in West Africa. It's kind of similar. Like, there's... What are the options for these people? Like, okay, one option could be the Palestinian Authority or the Togolese government in West Africa could make its own currency. Well, that's probably not going to end up very well for the people. It's going to be either hyperinflated or a tool of control. So your options are colonial currency, somebody else's currency, whether it's the shekel or the French franc or whatever, or like a really terrible local currency that's exploited by a strong man and his cronies, you know, or Bitcoin, like we can opt out of it, and I, I think that um, it's real. One of the uh, one of the women I spoke to in the in, when I was doing the research was talking about how she studied a lot of civil resistance movements in the United States, in Ireland, and a lot of places. And one of the key things that the civil rights movement in the United States did was people started um, making their own circular economies, which I know we've discussed today, and they did it in Hong Kong as well. So in Hong Kong, like you would signal. I know it's dark times there now, but basically in Hong Kong, if you're like pro-human rights and freedom, you 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 signal with a color, with the color yellow outside of your shop or business. And this signifies to the people shop, you know, that you are pro-freedom and, and not pro-CCP. So there this obviously was was done in Ireland in the Southeast United here in the Southeast during the civil rights struggle, et cetera. So she was like learning from that and and thinking about how, you know, maybe it's possible that in Israel, in Jerusalem, and in the West Bank. You could have like a hey, Bitcoin accepted here is kind of like it means like pro freedom, baby. You there know? is that's actually happening already. There's a whole movement of um, businesses, lawyers, doctors, uh, all across Israel and Palestine who are accepting Bitcoin. So let's say you're a guy in Gaza who got in trouble in Israel. There's no way for you to wire money to the lawyer via bank to bank because they they don't talk to each other. The banks, you'll pay the lawyer via Bitcoin, and he'll represent you. So that's just one. One last thing, we'll go to q and you know, we, we, I did this story, talked to all these people, we got these debates going. I found that even skeptical people were, were at least like, they wanted to engage on this topic. So a couple months ago, um, someone wrote a rebuttal to my article in like, like a very scholarly publication, like into the hive mind, into the academic hive mind, right? And what was really fascinating to me, of course, I disagree with the article. It was, you know, saying that Palestine is not, Bitcoin can't fix Palestine. And of course, like, I agree. Uh, it's one of many tools that can help. But they were basically trying to say that it's it's just not going to work, blah, 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 blah. But what I found was really interesting is that they took it really seriously. Like, they, like it's starting to actually be discussed. Like, it was taken so seriously that somebody took a month to write a very long response in a very academic journal. I thought that was a sign of success in a way. It is, and they completely forgot to interview a single Palestinian for the article. Yeah, they were like, this doesn't work for Palestinians, and I'm reading the article, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and when I get to the end, they didn't talk to a single Palestinian. So it's just like, okay, well, you know, 
maybe you could do better. And of course, like, I mean, when it comes to Bitcoin, like the, the, the uh, social justice people who normally would get upset about that sort of thing are totally silent because like, oh, it's Bitcoin, uh, total hypocrites. But like th this would be something normally you'd like that, like if you're like woke, you'd be pissed off at that they would just like dehumanize the Palestinians by not interviewing them. And we're just going to have to accept that that's going to happen over the next few years. But I think the tides are changing. People are using it. Um, I mean, look, they're also, you know, this is, I would just side note, like, that's why I started to learn about um, how important uh, uh, dollars are actually also and stable coins was uh, talking to these Palestinians. Um, they use both, basically, they use Bitcoin, they use Tether, both are very important technologies for them, because they, they again, they're just like, so freaking trapped. Um, but in the end, um, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. And I'm going to do what I can to work with Fadi and and we're going to just do more and more. My goal is to go to the West Bank, hopefully next year, uh, do like a half day event at one of the universities, talk to people, see what's possible. Hope I don't get uh, detained or something, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Anyway, um, thanks again, everybody. Appreciate it. <laughs>